Hey, my friends, welcome to All the Right Ingredients, the podcast for people who love to cook and entertain. I'm your host, Molly Fowler, the Dining Diva. Whether you're cooking for your family or entertaining a crowd, we all want to put our best efforts forward. Sometimes it's just that learning of one little tip that takes a dish from good to great. That's what I want to provide with this podcast, that extra bit of information. Good cooks are always quite curious, always wanting to learn more in order to elevate their skills. As we know, knowledge is power. Everything from menus, kitchen gadgets, cooking techniques, specific ingredients, we'll cover it all right here. Essentially, all the right ingredients to make you the best cooks you can be. In today's episode, I want to talk about something I think we've all faced recently, (laughs) the heart-clutching experience of going to the grocery store. Prices are high, shelves are bare, and where previously we've had many choices, we find ourselves happy just to find what we're looking for, regardless of brand or variety. Sadly, I think these supply issues and shortages are here for a while. It's made me much more conscious of avoiding waste when possible and learning some new ways to make do with what I have on hand or what I can find. One noticeable area is in the baking aisle, in the flower section. So I'm naming this podcast episode, Flower Power. So today I've enlisted the help of a gal who can expertly guide us through the details of the different flowers, how they perform, and how we can compensate when we are unable to locate the particular one called for in a recipe. So I want to introduce to you Kristen Baker Betty Hoffman, who is a trained chef, baking educator, cookbook author, and creator of the popular blog, BakerBetty.com. She's known for her abilities in baking, making baking science approachable and for breaking down essential techniques in ways that connect all the dots to the whys of baking. Her main focus is baking fundamentals, yeast bread, and sourdough. She lives in Chicago, where she teaches many workshops on these topics and is currently in the process of opening a brick and mortar space where her classes will be held. She's also teaching virtually via YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and private live stream classes. So get ready. You're going to learn a lot. When we come back after a quick break, Kristen will take us through the where's, why's, and what we need to know about all the flowers. We'll be right back. love living in the mountains of western North Carolina in this wonderful place known as Hendersonville. The scenery is gorgeous. The beauty of the Blue Ridge Mountains is all around us. The climate is perfect. The people are warm and friendly, and there's so much to do. There are waterfalls to explore, all types of outdoor recreation, a fantastic food scene, lots of vineyards and breweries to enjoy. If you're looking to buy in this area, I know who can help you find your slice of paradise. My friend Brian Bird, realtor with B Squared Realty in Hendersonville, North Carolina, is committed to excellence. We know from personal experience that Brian provides consistent communication, extensive knowledge of the home buying and selling markets. He listens to your wants and needs and has a community connection that can't be beat. If you want to buy or sell in the Hendersonville area, please reach out to Brian Bird at hendorealtor.com. That's hendorealtor.com. He really is the best. Baker Betty, which do you prefer? You can call me either. I, I confuse <laughs> this people a lot, but I'll answer to either. 
Thank you so much for having me, Molly. Oh, this is wonderful. Well, well, we have a mutual friend who is a wonderful pastry chef and food blogger. A shout out to Jenny Fields, uh, online pastry chef. Dot com and she is she is wonderful and I was was putting the word out that I needed someone who really knew all the details about the flowers and without question Kristen's name came up and said she was the expert and so that's what we want to do is bring in the expert information so I'm sure you've noticed as well being a baker whoa what a change when you go in the bakery aisle in the grocery store it's just phenomenal isn't it yeah, it really is. You no, know, in Chicago area right now, things aren't too bad. But yes, for sure, at various points at the start of the pandemic. And like you said, I'm sure it's not over. I'm sure we're going to still experience it. So yeah, we used to have every variety at hand. And now you have to be a little more uh, just accepting of whatever's there for you. That's exactly right. So let's start off talking about, you know, what everybody knows or we think we know, is is our basic all-purpose flour. Mm -hmm. But then within all-purpose flour, there's bleached and unbleached. Right. So... Which which is best? What what are the differences? Sure. So... All-purpose flour is made from a variety of wheat that has kind of like a moderate protein content. And the reason that matters is because protein is what is going to develop your gluten structure in your baking. So when we're working with a flour that has kind of a middle ground protein content, that's going to work for most everyday baking. You know, it's going to work for cakes and pastries and quick breads and muffins and pies and things like that. So when wheat flour is first ground, it actually has a pretty yellow hue to it, even after it's been refined down into what we would call white flour. It just naturally Mm -hmm. has a pretty yellow tint to it. And it's also a little coarser in texture than what you are going to buy at the grocery store. So for that reason, flour is either naturally aged or it goes through the bleaching process. So if you give flour enough time, just oxygen is going to work on the flour to lighten the color and lighten the texture. So unbleached flour has just gone through that natural process. While bleached flour, it's essentially getting to the same end state through going through a chemical process of bleaching. And it's a little cheaper for flour producers to make because they're not having to hold on to it for so long. Unbleached flour takes a couple months to naturally age. So usually bleached flour is going to be a little bit cheaper in the grocery store because they don't have to hold on to it for so long. But the the natural bleaching process, while it does lighten the color and the texture, it does also lighten it a little farther than what the natural aging process does. Okay. So typically bleached flour is going to work a little bit better for lighter baked goods like a cake or um, a really light pastry. A bleached flour is going to do a better job at um, making the texture that you want. Okay, so light as in color or light as in texture? Well, both. So okay. if you want to make a wedding cake that's bright white, it will 
be in your favor to use a bleached flour, but I'm talking texture. Okay. So, okay. so typically you wouldn't want to use, I mean, you can, but it's not the best option to use a bleached flour for like a yeast bread where you want a little bit more of a dense texture and a little more chew to it because oh. the bleached flour is not going to do as good of a job with that. Interesting. Very interesting. So thinking yeah. about flour and holding that flour, how do you recommend storing your flour? So I, if you don't live somewhere that's very hot and humid, room temperature is perfectly fine to store your flour in an airtight container in your pantry or whatever, wherever it is you store your ingredients. Um, unless you live somewhere that's super hot and humid, then you might want to go ahead and put it in the refrigerator. Now, wheat flour is the one thing that I will say is going to really benefit you to put in the refrigerator, whole wheat flour, because it has some natural oils in it that can kind of go rancid mm -hmm. if, it, if it sits out too long. So if you're somebody that doesn't go through it very quickly, you might want to go ahead and pop that in your refrigerator or freezer just to extend its shelf life. Okay, well, let, and let's talk about whole wheat flour. Sure. Give me the scoop. Yeah, so the wheat grain has three parts. It has the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. So white flour is made from just the endosperm part of the wheat because mm -hmm. that's the softest part of the wheat. Where whole wheat flour is made from the entire wheat grain, hence the name whole wheat. So it has, you know, a darker color. It has a bit of a coarser texture because those other parts of the wheat just can't be ground down to as fine of a texture as the mm -hmm. endosperm can. Um, so it tends to just be a little heavier, a little coarser, but it also has more flavor. It has more nutrients. Um, and, you know, you can use it in pretty much, you know, any baked good that you want to use it in, but you just always have to be aware that it's going to absorb more liquid because it has those different parts of the wheat. They just tend to be a little thirstier. Huh. So it it's harder to make a light and fluffy baked good with whole wheat flour or with a large portion of whole wheat flour. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And um, what's its shelf life normally? Well, as long as you store it properly, mm -hmm. especially, especially if you um, are going to store it in the refrigerator or freezer, it's going to be fine for qu quite a while. I mean, I, I've had some in my freezer for over a year and it's perfectly fine. Okay. But if you store it out at room temperature, it, probably not longer than like six months, it can start getting a little funky. Okay. Okay. So when we see recipes that call for, so we're making our bread. So sure. what's, what's the difference and... Is it important to use bread flour versus our all-purpose flour? And then if you blend in some whole wheat flour, so where do we, where do we turn? Yeah, so bread flour, we, you know, we talked about at the beginning how all-purpose flour kind of had a moderate protein content. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest difference between bread flour and all-purpose flour is that it's made from a variety of wheat that has more protein in it. Because with bread we want to encourage the gluten development. So more protein is going to be more gluten, stronger gluten structure, which is beneficial for a bread recipe. So that's why bread flour exists to give us a stronger gluten structure to help our bread rise higher and give us like a, a bigger, you know, uh, taller bread. But all-purpose flour works still very well for bread, especially if you're not somebody who's, 
working in a commercial bakery and trying to, you know, sell your baked goods, home bakers are going to do just fine with all-purpose flour. You might not get quite as dramatic of a rise, but it's still going to work well for you. Um, so if you can't find bread flour, that's perfectly fine. But if you can, maybe you can't even find all-purpose flour. Maybe bread flour is your only option. Mm -hmm. You can use bread flour in other baking as well. You don't have to just use it for baking bread. It makes really good cookies and brownies because it actually will encourage a little bit of chewiness in your cookies or brownies. So I really like to add some into my chocolate chip cookies. Um, but if you're making something like a, a muffin where you want it to be really light and tender and maybe you only have bread flour on hand, you just want to be a little bit more careful about how much you mix because if you mix too much, you're just going to keep encouraging the gluten development. Oh, That's how okay. gluten builds is, is mixing. Is working it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As far as wheat flour, you know, there are so many recipes online. Basically, I would always encourage you to just try to find recipes that are written for the type of flour you have on hand. These days it, with Google available, <laughs> you can pretty much find a recipe for almost any random circumstance you have. Um, but typically, if you're going to put some whole wheat flour in your baked good, I usually suggest to hold back about, if, say I'm substituting whole wheat flour in for an all-purpose flour. Mm -hmm. I'll usually say maybe hold back about two tablespoons of the whole wheat flour per cup. So okay. if you're, you're going to put in, you know, take out a cup of, of all-purpose flour, put in a cup of whole wheat flour, take out about two tablespoons of okay. that before you put it in. Tell me this. What about bread dough enhancers? Mm -hmm. So I'd seen a recipe and somebody was the be all and end all. And I was using bread flour and I also used a dough enhancer. And my result was kind of meh. You know, I didn't, I didn't see much difference. And then I was chatting with our friend Jenny Field. And, and she said, well, maybe it would make a di bigger difference if you were using all-purpose flour and that would make a difference. So, so talk about what the... What does a dough enhancer do? Sure. So a dough enhancer or a dough conditioner is going to just help strengthen your gluten structure. Okay. It's going to create a stronger, a stronger gluten structure without you having to work for that as hard. Because typically when you're trying to build a gluten structure in a bread dough, you're going to have to knead it for a long time. Um, and you're still going to want to knead your dough, even if you are using a dough enhancer, but it's going to help do that for you more naturally. <laughs> so there's actually a few brands of yeast on the market that have dough enhancers already mixed into them. Oh. So Red Star Yeast has one that's called their platinum yeast. Okay. And then sometimes yeast that's marked as specifically like a bread machine yeast will have, <laughs> if you look at the ingredient list, it will tell you it has like a dough enhancer, a dough conditioner in it. Um, but yeah, she's probably right. You might not have noticed as big of a difference when you were using bread flour because the bread flour already has the higher protein content right. that's already going to, you know, have that stronger gluten structure. Whereas if you were using all-purpose flour, it would help you get there easier, you know, right. than, than not using it. Right. Oh, yeah. good. Interesting. So all is not lost. I'll, I'll I'm giving, giving it a try. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the same way that we're wanting bread flour to uh, have that extra protein so that we can strengthen, I'm presuming then pastry flour would have a lot less to get you a tender pastry. Is that right? 
Right. So pastry flour and cake flour is even are farther on the other end of the spectrum. So cake flour and pastry flour are different. Yes, they are. Right. So pastry flour has a little bit less protein than the all-purpose flour. And then cake flour has even less. Um, and they're both more finely ground, but cake flour is even more finely ground than pastry flour. Okay. Um, and I find, at least in my part of the U.S., I find cake flour is much easier to find in a regular grocery store than pastry mm -hmm. flour is. Um, but yeah, they're both essentially serving the purpose of working well for baked goods that you want to have a really light and tender texture. And cake flour specifically tends to be very heavily bleached because as we discussed how it kind of softens the texture of the flour. Uh, it's hard to find cake flour that is not bleached. It, it It is out there, but it's harder to find it. I find it doesn't tend to work as well. Um, so I don't know if you've ever noticed, if you've ever opened up a box of cake flour, it has a really distinct smell to mm -hmm. it. Um, mm -hmm. That's from the bleaching process. So the bleaching process actually like lowers the pH a little bit. So it smells acidic because it is a little bit acidic. Oh, um, and that's just from the, the bleaching process that's really softening the texture. And the only brand that comes to mind, I think of cake flour that I've ever bought is the red box of the yeah, swan. The swan. <laughs> mm -hmm. right. Right. Yeah, that's what you're mostly going to find in the grocery store. King Arthur flour makes an unbleached cake flour, but I don't think I've ever seen it actually in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. I think you usually have to order it off their okay. website. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's a dangerous place to get into ordering too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you find all kinds of things you didn't it think is. that you needed. <laughs> yeah, it is for sure. That's fun. So um, substituting. So if you have a recipe that calls for pastry flour or cake flour, is there a, a substitution? Is there a reduction that you should make if you're using all purpose or anything you can do to help it along? Yeah. So I'm always a big advocate for using a scale, which I know most people don't want me to tell them. Um, but cake flour does weigh less per cup than what all-purpose flour would. So if you have a recipe that calls for a one cup of cake flour, you're going to have less flour in that cup than if you were to fill that cup up with all-purpose flour. So so if you have a digital scale, that would okay. be my first suggestion would be to weigh it rather than use your measuring cup. But if if you don't have that, then if you're going that way, going from a recipe that has cake flour to all-purpose flour, I would say that you want to subtract, okay. again, two tablespoons per cup or vice versa the other way around. If you're going to cake flour from all-purpose, add a couple tablespoons. Um, and then you can also make a cake flour substitute if if you need cake flour and you don't have right. uh, have any, you can mix about two tablespoons oh. of cornstarch per cup to all-purpose flour and sift it together really well. And that can really help sort of imitate the texture of what cake flour would give your baked Wonderful. good. So tell me, what is the magic of white lily flour? Yes. That's a great question. So white lily flour is made from a variety of wheat. It, so all-purpose flour is made from a hard red winter wheat, while white lily flour is made from a soft red winter wheat. So it has a bit of a softer texture and it does have a little bit less protein in it than 
what traditional all-purpose flour would. It's not all the way to pastry flour, but it's like kind of in the middle between pastry flour and all-purpose flour. So it's kind of touted as like the end-all be-all for making biscuits because it's going to give you, it has that lighter texture. It's going to help get you that really light, fluffy, flaky biscuit. Um, But on the other hand, I wouldn't make bread with, you know, a yeast bread with white lily flour because of that. So, oh, so many rules, so many, so many challenges out there. I know, I know, (laughs) I know. And I think people don't quite realize how many different flowers there really are. I know. And once you start looking, especially in some of the Bob's Red Mills and some of those kinds of things, boy, you can just get caught up in all the, all the fun things. And then, and then you get them right. for that one recipe and then what do you do, you know? And so um, right. tell me right. this, in sourdough, someone had suggested that if you feed it some rye flour in that that helps it in some way. So what's the magic of rye flour? Well, yes. So rye flour really or whole wheat flour, either of them work very well. Um, Because they're a whole grain flour, they contain more nutrients and more natural yeast in them to help just keep your starter really healthy and lively. So white flour, because it has that bran and the germ removed from it, it just doesn't contain as many of those nutrients and natural yeast that the whole grain flours do. So it can really just help kind of Uh, boost your starter and give it, you know, a lot of nutrients to keep it really lively and active. I'm determined that I'm going to be a good sourdough baker again. I was many, many years ago. (laughs) I believe in you. (laughs) And just so everyone knows, really seek out and I'll post all of Kristen's information so you can find her on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and TikTok and all the places that you are. But she's got some wonderful tutorials on sourdough breads, all kinds of the basics of baking. Okay, and so your cookbook is, let me see if I remember it. Okay, Baker Betty's Better Baking Book. Isn't it? That is perfect. (laughs) That's what it is. And it's wonderful. (laughs) I can't wait to get it. I I definitely need that and need some of those go-to faithful recipes that you know they're going to perform every time and perform correctly. So that's that's great fun. And there's a whole section about flour in the in the first in the first uh part of the book about all the different kinds excellent well I can't I can't wait to look at that and so tell me this measuring now we all back from the from the days when it was called home ec classes not consumer and family studies or whatever it's called today but yeah you know I remember going through the exercise of scooping and measuring and leveling off and always going through the sifting and all this Mm -hmm. is that necessary So yes, I would say if you're going to use a measuring cup rather than a scale, um, that I don't encourage kind of like dipping your measuring Mm -hmm. cup into the flour because it's very easy to pack the flour in. Um, So you'll want to just give it kind of a stir. You don't need to sift it first, but give it a stir and then you're going to spoon it into your measuring cup and then level it off. And that will get you the closest to the most accurate Okay. you know, cup of flour as you can. Right. Don't pack it in at <laughs> all. Um, but yeah. Um, and then if your recipe calls to sift it, I mean, typically my my biggest advocacy for sifting is for cake. That's really going to help 
get you the lightest cake. But for cookies, you know, muffins, things like that, okay. I typically don't sift my flour. Do you use a sieve or do you use a regulation sifter? Uh, both. I have both. I find they both work well. Yeah. Okay. And should you sift before measuring te- technically or after? Nope. You want to sift after measuring because if you sift before measuring, it's going to add too much air into your flour and you're going to get probably too little flour in your in your cup. Okay. So just a good stir is enough to so that it's not packed down in your tub. Um, measure it, level it off, then you can sift it. Wonderful. Okay. Can you think of any other flour that we haven't touched? Anything else that needs to be? Well, maybe self-rising flour would be would be worth talking about. Yes. So yeah, I think that a lot, one of the most common things I hear people say is because it's called self-rising flour, people often think that it can be used in place of yeast, which is not how it works. (laughs) Right. So self-rising flour is all-purpose flour that's been pre-mixed with baking powder and salt. And it's really common in the South. I think most Northerners don't have as much experience baking with it, but um, it makes really quick work of things like biscuits because Mm -hmm. you can just add some butter and some buttermilk or regular milk and you got yourself some biscuits. It's just a very, you know, it's just so quick and easy to work with. So, you know, there was a time at the beginning of the pandemic where I couldn't find all-purpose flour. I could only find self-rising flour. And so, I just kind of adjusted my recipes. I knew that one cup of self-rising flour has about two teaspoons of baking powder and about, uh, I think it's a half teaspoon of salt already in it. So then you just take that out of whatever it is you're you're working with. So um, that can be good information to know if that's maybe the only thing you can find in your store. You can still use it. You just need to adjust the leavening and the salt a little bit. Just do the math. But on the contrary, if you have a recipe that calls for self-rising, you can use your all-purpose Yep. Enhance it with the baking powder and you don't have to, because I, I, you know, I've had some recipes that have called for it and I don't use that self-rising that often and it ends up, you know, being tossed out. And right. now, now at the prices that I'm paying these days, I'm becoming yeah. a bit more uh, frugal. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> As we all should. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Well, tell me about your store, your brick and mortar oh, yeah. store. Sure. When is it going to open? Uh, The goal is for August. We're just now in the beginning part of build out phase. So it will be where I'll host all of my in-person classes. And it's in the River North neighborhood of Chicago, which is downtown Chicago. Oh, wonderful. Um, So, yeah, and it's going to have a a 50s theme, which is, you know, my whole aesthetic. So we're going to build it out to kind of look like a 1950s diner. But I'll be teaching all my baking classes there. Oh, and will you still continue to do some online as well? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I'll be doing all my YouTube videos and virtual classes and all my social media and everything. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. So now tell everybody where they can find you. Sure. I am at Baker Betty everywhere. And that's (laughs) Betty with an IE, not a Y. So I'm probably most active on TikTok. um, But I also am very active on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube. And my website is bakerbetty.com, which 
which is where all of my recipes and um, tutorials are at. And then my book is Baker Betty's Better Baking Book. And you can find that wherever books are sold. That is fabulous. Well, I am so appreciative of your time today. And I think everybody's going to learn a lot. I mean, my head's kind of spinning with all the flower <laughs> talk, but I'm so glad to know some of those changes that, that we can make. So um, you can make do with what you can get your hands on and uh, use it for for most of your baking. And we'll certainly encourage people to take a look at your book because I think we all need those recipes that we can just fall back on on a regular basis. I think I think the real go-to ones are terrific. And so Baker Betty has been so good about sharing her information, but she's also going to share a wonderful uh, pound cake recipe with us. So we're going to take one more quick break. And when we come back, she'll talk about this classic pound cake that sounds absolutely delicious. And we'll go through the particulars of that. And I think everybody's going to want to go out and bake a pound cake. So we'll be right back with the recipe. You know, in all my years of teaching cooking classes, a few concerns about entertaining keep resurfacing. People are reluctant to entertain because they become bogged down with planning the menu and the need for all recipes to be ready at the same time. They wonder how to be with their guests instead of being tied to the kitchen for most of the evening. Sound familiar? I've got the solution for you and it's easy and inexpensive. My book, The Dining Diva Presents Menus for Entertaining, gives you well-tested recipes and timelines for advanced preparation that will allow you to be a guest at your own party. We also include a shopping list for each menu. It's available on Amazon as a Kindle book for only $9.99. Download yours today. You'll be entertaining with ease in no time. Okay, we are back with Kristen Hoffman, also known as Baker Betty, and she is sharing with us a classic pound cake recipe. And I can't wait to make it. I love a pound cake. I love um, buttering and grilling a pound cake slice out on the grill and topping it with some berries and some sweetened Yum. whipped cream. And we're in that berry season right now. So I'm, I'm getting ready to do this. So I can't wait. So you want to talk about your recipe, kind of take us through what it's about? Sure. So, you know, a classic pound cake is super simple ingredients. It's butter, it's eggs, it's sugar, it's flour. Um, Mine's a little bit modified. I do add a little bit of sour cream in there just to kind of help give a little bit of moisture. Um, but then the biggest thing is that it does call for cake flour because I find that this is what is really going to take your pound cake over the top. It's really going to give you that very fine, delicate crumb. Um, so, it, you know, pound cake in, in and of itself is kind of a, a dense cake, mm -hmm. um, but the the cake flour really does give it that more fine crumb, a little bit of a lighter texture. So it just starts out with creaming your butter and sugar together. And you do have to be very conscious of having all of your ingredients at room temperature. That's such a key part of making a good pound cake. If your ingredients are cold, you're really not going to get the right texture that you're looking for. Interesting. So you're cream. Yeah, it's it's the the butter and sugar will not stay creamed together if your ingredients are cold. So 
you're going to cream your butter and sugar together until they look really light in color and fluffy in texture. And then you start adding your eggs. And that's where it's really important that your eggs are at room temperature because you work so hard to whip all this air into your butter and sugar. And then if you add cold eggs, it's just going to deflate out of there and you'll end up with a really dense cake. Okay. Um, so you, you slowly add in your um, eggs until, the, until those are all incorporated. And then you have to kind of alternate back and forth between your sour cream and your cake flour. So you'll add a little bit of your cake flour, a little bit of your sour cream, a little bit of cake flour, a little bit of sour cream, and then you end with the cake flour. And the reason for that is, is to also prevent the air from um, breaking, the, from the mixture from breaking so that you don't lose all of that air. Because if you add all of your sour cream at once it won't be able to fully absorb Mm -hmm. it so you need a little bit of that flour so that it can help absorb the sour cream and that's kind of why you go back and forth so if you've ever seen a cake recipe that calls to alternate your wet and dry there's a good reason for it (laughs) they're (laughs) not just trying to make it complicated for you um but in the recipe I gave you I also give a couple flavor variations so you could make it a lemon pound cake or you could make a marble pound cake where you just take a little bit of the mixture out and add some um, cocoa powder and marble it together so it's a really versatile recipe Uh, it's just such a classic oh wonderful and now do you bake this in an eight inch loaf pan Mm -hmm. okay So I believe I also in the instructions told you how you could make it a bunt cake. You'll just need to double the recipe if you want to put it in a big bunt cake pan. But uh, just the recipe as written goes into a loaf pan. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Well, it sounds fabulous. And I appreciate you being on so much. It was wonderful to get to know you, to hear all the information. And I think everybody feels a little bit smarter now that we know the ins and outs of our flower power. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much and and good luck with the store getting open. And I hope in the future you'll come back and you'll be a guest again. I know that we can pick your brain for lots of good information. I'd love to. Wonderful. Well, thank you everybody for listening. We've got some wonderful guests coming up, other experts to help us uh, just be that little bit better in the kitchen. We all love to have that new bits of information. If you have someone that you'd like for me to try to track down an interview, please let me know. Um, Send me a note at uh, my email at all the right ingredients podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram at all the right ingredients. So thank you so much. And we look forward to the next time you all take care, happy cooking and enjoy all this new knowledge that you have part of all the right ingredients. Bye-bye. Bye.